You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good to see you guys here today. Uh, we're in a sermon series that we are calling To Be Human, because to be human is to worship. Every single person in this room, every single human being created, was created to be a worshiper. So every single one of us has a heart that is being ruled by someone or something. And whatever it is that is ruling your heart today is the object of your worship. And so one of the best ways for us to identify what we worship is by looking at what we run to when we experience anxiety, when we experience stress, when we experience problems, when we experience suffering. Because when your heart is broken, when you suffer, when you are experiencing pain in your life, you will run to your real God, your real idol perhaps. Suffering has a way of causing us to, to run to whatever it is that we are actually depending upon to sustain us or to deliver us from our pain. Nobody wants to uh, in, uh, experience pain for a long time. So when we begin to experience it, when trouble comes, we want to get rid of it, and it will often reveal what we are truly depending upon in our life. It becomes our functional God. So think about it. When your girlfriend broke up with you, where did you run? Did you run to the next relationship? Because for you, you have to have a relationship in order to feel significant. When uh, you didn't get the promotion, did you run to Ben and Jerry? <laughs> did you run to food to kind of keep your mind occupied and to fill that void in your life? Did you, when, you're, when you, in fact, uh, felt some kind of loss in your life, maybe, in fact, somebody passed away, where, where did you turn? Did you turn to self-pity and isolation in your life because your idol is your own personal comfort. Some of us will run to food. Some will run to alcohol. Some will run to further relationships. But what you think is going to deliver you from that broken heart is your God. And so when you're suffering, you're going to go to that certain sin. You're going to go to a certain person. And inevitably, they become that idol in your life that you are depending upon in your life to bring you peace and to bring uh, you a, a, a victory over that pain in your life. Some of you know that uh, myself and my family have been kind of going through a season of, of suffering for some time now. My, my mother passed away about uh, three months ago, and uh, it's been a really, really challenging, challenging time. I, I haven't really uh, been able to talk about it much because I'm, I'm still kind of right in the middle of it. Uh, she was the greatest mother in the world, um, uh, the greatest pastor's wife. This is why I haven't talked about it. I thought I was going to be able to. Um, she was the, the glue, really, to our family. And so when you lose someone that dear and close, where, where do you run? Where do you turn to for comfort? And I, and I say this to you not because I have overcome this pain. I have not, obviously. I say this 
and bring this up today because I want you to know that I know what it feels like to lose something. I know what it feels like to to hurt. I know what it feels like to question God and to be angry with God. I'm I'm not coming to you today to talk to you about how to overcome suffering in your life and and telling you that it's going to be easy. I'm telling you that that I'm in the middle of it, and my heart is broken, and there have been times where I've been really, really mad, and and I've blamed a lot of people, and um, I've blamed God, and I've been angry at God, and um, so I, I, I come at this angle today because I want you to know that even despite that pain in my own heart, and, and despite the emotions that I'm still wrestling with, um, my, my hope is that God will encourage you today. Uh, my, my hope is that as we turn to Scripture, we'll, we'll see that that is, in fact, where our hope comes from. And if you have your Bibles, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, I believe that today we're going to be able to answer the question, how do we worship Jesus in a season of suffering? I mean, in sickness, in betrayal, in stress, in loneliness, in death, how can we worship Jesus through these events in our life when our hearts are being broken? The book of Hebrews itself was written to a group of people who were suffering, um, like us, they, they knew what it felt like to have a broken heart. They had trusted Christ. They had become followers of Jesus. And uh, previously, they were Jews. And so when they co- convert to Christianity now, they are leaving their places of worship, their synagogues. They, they're losing their families. Uh, and oftentimes, they're being persecuted now financially and, and personally in their communities. They are essentially facing all kinds of criticisms and hardships and problems. And they are basically losing their traditions and their way of worship. Think about it. They, they have lost everything that they have known. And so as they are experiencing this, this uh, suffering, you know, they thought, okay, following Jesus was all, all going to be cupcakes and, and roses, and they're finding out that, in fact, it is harder than anything else they have done. And so the scripture today teaches us how to, in fact, worship Jesus through the, 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 the suffering and through the pain that each and every one of us are, are, are going to experience in life. And perhaps some of you are right in the middle of that season in your life. Let's look at chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, let's just pause right there. Picture yourself in Neyland Stadium, all right? 
and you're on the field and the stands are packed, okay? And they're not there to watch a football game. They are there to watch you. And so you're on the field. You're actually in a race. You're running. The stands are filled, and they are cheering for you, right? This is the picture of Hebrews 12. In chapter 11, he goes through what we call the, 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 the heroes of faith. And so the hall of faith and Pretty much every famous person from the Old Testament is, is written about in chapter 11 and their faith and, and their struggle and how God used them to bring about the gospel. And, 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 and so we, we look at that and we see these lives and, and he says, look, there is this great cloud of witnesses, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of followers of God and followers of Jesus that have gone before us. And they are cheering us on, so to speak, their stories are written down in this book to encourage us, to cheer us on, to inspire us. And he says, this is the the, the cloud of witnesses that is around you that will cheer you on in your time of need. So that's the visual, that's the picture as we step into this today. And he says, okay, so we've got some fans, we've got those who have faced trials and pain, and they have suffered and, and, and we, we get to see their faith. They're cheering us on now. And so in our race, as we experience pain, he says in verse 1, to strip away every weight. Every weight, he says, strip away. The word weight there means any excess that's going to hold you back potentially. So if you're an athlete and you're training for a race or whatever, you're going to try to lose any excess weight. Why? To make you stronger, to make you faster, to make you quicker. And in the same way, he's telling us to strip away anything that's going to hinder you from living a life of worship, of of faithful worship. So what are some things in your life that are weighing you down today? Just think about it. Is it perhaps a negative relationship in your life? And some of us have those relationships. You begin to grow. You begin to really get uh, passionate about your faith. And then all of a sudden you hang out with that one person. That one person that is so negative, they never see anything positive. And as soon as you step into that conversation, and as soon as you begin to hear those negative comments, you are, you're kind of drug back away. Your affections for Jesus that were stirred for him are now extinguished. Maybe there is just a, a, a scheduling problem in your life. And so for you, you just keep yourself so busy and your schedule is so packed. And you know why we do that? When we're going through a season of, of pain, especially, we like to keep ourselves busy because if our mind is occupied, then we don't have to think about the pain. We don't have to deal with those emotions and those feelings. We don't hear from God. What are some things that are slowing you down? He says to strip away those weights. Secondly, he says strip away every sin that trips you up. So it says that uh, the sin which clings to you. Some translations say that so easily entangles you, so easily trips you up. So what sin in your life entangles you, trips you up continuously? It's that same sin, it's that same habit that continually trips you up. Now think about it for a second. If you're a runner, if you're going to go out and, 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 and go on a race today, if you were to wear baggy clothes, you know, it would trip you up. Think of the 90s. Who, who, who grew up in the 90s like me? You remember what we wore in the 90s? All the baggy jeans and baggy clothes and baggy shirts and 
Everything was baggy back then. Uh, we would even wear, you know, you got the, you got the Reebok pumps that you, that you were wearing and you didn't tie them. You, you just let the, the, the shoelaces hang because that was the thing, right? Now imagine running a race in all of those baggy clothes. Remember MC Hammer? You remember him? You remember his baggy pants? And, 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 and we all wanted to like be too legit to quit, right? We, we, you couldn't touch this. I think we have a picture of Hammer. Do you remember those pants? Some of you are young. You don't remember, but like that was cool back in the day. And now it's totally changed, hasn't it? Now it's kind of on the other side. Everything's back to, back to short. So like shorter shorts are back in, you know? It's like, I don't know if I'm ready for the 1980s short shorts again. I, I, I picture my, my brother, Pastor Todd. I, I'm not quite sure. I want to see him in his 1980s Daisy Dukes. In fact, I think we have a picture. I'm just kidding. I don't want to cause anybody to stumble and lust over. I'm going to think about it. Like if, if, you, if you're wearing those baggy clothes and you're trying to race, it's going to trip you up. What, what is that sin in your life that constantly trips you up? I bet you could easily identify it today if you'll just think about it. And think about it. If you are suffering in some way, and the sin that so easily entangles you, you continue to run back to, it's like you're in the ocean drowning with heartbreak, and every time you go back to that sin, it's like the devil dropping a 45-pound dumbbell on you. And so now I'm already drowning, and then I go back to that sin that entangles me, and I'm holding this weight now as I'm already drowning. You're killing yourself. I think porn is, for a lot of guys in the room, that sin that constantly entangles you. I think for a lot of people, being disobedient with their money is easily entangling you. God's not going to bless you if you are running back to those sins. He's not going to bless you while you're robbing him and building debt. Strip away every sin. Thirdly, he says to run with endurance. So this word endurance could also be translated patience, and it's not like a passive, like I'm going to sit down and wait for a chariot of fire to come pick me up and, and, you know, bring me out of my, you know, my shame or bring me out of my depression. No, the word actually means this, this word means that I'm going to stand up, I'm, I'm going to actually fight against this trial, I'm going to fight through this situation that I'm facing. Listen, as you run your race, you're going you're gonna to want to give up. We're all going to get to that moment where we're just going to want to throw our hands up and say, you know what, I'm just not going to go to church today. You know what, I'm just tired of dealing with it, right? And so as we experience that, we're going to be tempted to walk away. He said last week, don't neglect meeting together. Keep showing up. Keep coming. Keep expecting God to teach you. Keep expecting to have an encounter with God. Go to small group. Be involved with other believers. You don't want your affections for Jesus to become stagnant or to cool off. You want to do those things that stir that fire for the Lord in your heart. So strip away what's hindering you. Now, how do we do that? How do we strip away all these things, the, the, the sin, all of these extra weights and things that would cause us to trip up? How do we do this? Well, what's the next step? He says it. Look again in verse 2. He says, looking to Jesus. By keeping my eyes on Jesus, that's the key during a broken heart. Because most of us turn our focus on our pain. We turn our focus on our, our hurt. 
You know, I, I, you know, we think about all the things that we are losing. We think about how unfair this is. And it's, it's not fair. And it's not easy. And it's so quick for me to turn inward and so quick to me to focus on myself and my pain and, and the way out of that misery is to live a lifestyle of worship that keeps my focus on Jesus, to turn my eyes upon him. And as I turn my eyes upon him, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now, why do we look to him? Well, because he is the perfecter of our faith. He, it says here that he is the source of our faith. So that being the source of our faith means that he created your faith. He created my faith. And he's the perfecter of my faith. So that means that he is going to bring it to completion. And so that I can trust him, that as I turn to him and I look to him, then he is going to carry me through. He's going to give me hope and power and peace on the other side of this. Now, in verses 3 and 4, he says, listen, consider him. Beginning of verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility. And he says, think about what Jesus went through. Compare what, what you're going through. Compare your trouble to the trouble of Jesus. And when you think about what he went through, then all of a sudden your problems are going to not be so big. Now think about it. What did Jesus have to go through? What, what was he facing? Well, he was born to an un, unwed mother. And in those times it would have been a complete embarrassment. He lived in poverty his entire life. He grew up in Nazareth, a town that everybody looked down upon. Most likely his father died at some point as a teenager, homeless as an adult, hated by almost all the important people in every town he went to, accused of being crazy, accused of being possessed by a demon, opposed by his own family, and rejected by almost every audience he went to, left alone and thrown to the wayside by his closest friends, wrongly condemned in a court of law and executed in the most horrible way imaginable for a crime he did not commit. Verse four here says, you haven't shed any blood for your faith. So when you're going through pain, when you're going through suffering, we're to compare our trouble to the life of Jesus, and then that gives us hope. That gives us some inspiration. We haven't shed any blood yet, so we consider his sufferings. We consider what he went through so that we will not grow weary. Now, next, let's go to verse 5. We'll read the next few verses here. He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which, all I, in, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. 
but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, this is not a popular verse to preach on. In fact, this is a passage of scripture that is so difficult to really unpack that most would just shy away from it. It's not going to draw a crowd, okay? So it, it, it's not going to it's not going to grow a church to go to passages like this. And so I walk into this with some hesitancy and and, and really with just like, okay, God, this is your truth, and I'm I'm just going to teach it to the best of my ability. But what He says here is that God disciplines us, and so that our suffering is God disciplining us. And so we can unpack that theologically for the next 50 years and and try to figure out what that means, but I'm I'm gonna hit kind of a high-level view here today. But first of all, there's a gigantic difference between God's discipline and God's judgment. As Christians, we often have to suffer the painful consequences of our sins, but we will never experience God's judgment. Know the difference here. The punishment we deserved was endured by Jesus on the cross. So we are not going to to receive the punishment of God that we deserve because of his judgment. However, in discipline, God is a father, not a judge. So if you are suffering today, is this punishment for a Christian? And I would say, not necessarily. <laughs> you see, our, our discipline that God brings to us, our suffering, isn't punishment for the Christian. It's refinement for the Christian. It's to purify you. It's to make you more like Jesus. As we read, it's to share in his holiness. God uses suffering to purify our worship. Instead of only hearing about God and knowing about God, in suffering, we have an opportunity to truly know him in a more personal and intimate way. So suffering can refine our worship, if you let it. Here's what happens, though. We're taught, even at a young age, that when we are good, God is going to bless us, and everything that we touch is going to bring us happiness. And so when difficulties do happen in our life, when pain happens in our life, we immediately think God is judging us. He is disappointed in us. He's frustrated, and he's angry with us. And so what do we do at that point? We run back to the tabernacle way to worship God and connect with him. And so we go through all the, you know, the the, the things like, you know, I'm going to show up. I'm going to give. I'm going to sing a song. What do I have to do, God? What sacrifice and offering do I have to bring to get in good with you? And we've already learned that's not how we connect and draw near to the Lord. God's discipline doesn't mean that he's angry necessarily with us. The word discipline does have a negative connotation, so when you hear that word, you immediately think of getting spanked when you were a kid, right? I mean, that's what we think. It's got a negative connotation, but when used appropriately, discipline, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So I want you to begin to think of God's discipline as his training in your life. So the suffering and the pain that we are going through is given to us as God's training in our life. No, it's not always going to be enjoyable. In fact, most of the time, it is not enjoyable. But when God brings with his wisdom this discipline, it is always for our good. Look at verse 5. You might circle this phrase. It says, 
Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't take it lightly. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, don't take it lightly. This is huge. Say, don't take it lightly. Don't take God's discipline lightly. In other words, don't just blow by it. And and, and don't just think the suffering that you're experiencing today doesn't have any purpose. Don't just let bitterness fill your heart. Don't don't just, you know, get busy and not think about it. Don't don't just uh, occupy your mind with other things. No, don't take it lightly. The pain that you are going through today has a purpose. And the heavier the weight of grief, the bigger the vision is for your good. If it's a major event in your life, God has a major purpose for your future. So do not take it lightly. The example given to us is that of an earthly father and how our earthly father disciplines us. And when we were younger, if you're like me and, you know, you know, or even older, the discipline from your parents was different than discipline today, you know? Um, my dad had a way of disciplining me without even touching me. Like, he, he didn't have to even, you know, whip me. Like, I, I, he could tell me to sit down, and like, as a kid, if I didn't sit down, the next thing I know, like, dad's facial expression, like his lips, and I get a little bit of his teeth, and like his eyes, and I was down. Like, he, he could just, he, he just had that effect on me. I, growing up in church, my mom sang in the choir, and so she was always in the choir law. And so I was, you know, I was in the back. And if I was like goofing off and laughing and cutting up with my friends, like all of a sudden I'd be laughing and having a good time. And then all of a sudden I would feel like my face was melting. <laughs> and it was my mom's laser beam eyes that were, she was like looking at me. And I was like, ah, I can feel it. And then boom, there she was, right? And so, so our parents have a way of, of, of disciplining us. And, and uh, depending on who your parents were, maybe you, you really got the belt and you got the the wooden spoon, or you got the whatever, go pick a, go pick a, a you know, a, a, a bush branch or whatever. You, you know, my grandparents used to say that. Go pick a, go pick a branch from the bush out there, and you would come back with one of the green, like really light, flimsy ones, and they would say, no, 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 go back out there and get something else. But, you know, today, um, parents just don't discipline like they used to, right? And so, um, oftentimes, I think we're going to struggle, this generation especially, that that when God's discipline comes, it's going to be so foreign. It's going to be such an idea of like, I don't, it's going to bring so much confusion. And so I, I just know, you know, today, like, you don't get spanked, you get time out. All right? You get time out. Johnny, for spacking mommy in the face, you need to go sit in time out. Y'all know, back in the day, little Johnny would not have gotten time out. He would have got knocked out, right? <laughs> talking about you go sit and you think about what you just did, right? Back in the day, your parents would have said, oh, you're sitting down? I must not have spanked you hard enough. I'm going to spank you so you can't sit down for a week, right? And so that's just kind of how it was. But today, it's just, it's just completely uh, different. God has three specific purposes for discipline in our life. Let me mention them. At least three. You could probably come up with more. But these are the three main three ways that God brings discipline and suffering in our life. And the first is correction. The second is prevention. And and the third is education. So let me talk about them really quickly. First of all, God will bring discipline in your life to correct you because if, if we have sinned in some way in our life, then we need to face the consequences of those sins. The church in Corinth was a crazy bunch, and if you've read 1 Corinthians, you know they were involved in all kinds of crazy sins, and one, one of the things that they were 
involved in is they would have the Lord's Supper and people were getting wasted. <laughs> they were drinking too much wine and they were getting loaded at the Lord's Supper. And uh, some of you always wondered why we go with the little Dixie cups here. And it's like, there's a reason for that, right? <laughs> there's a reason why we went to juice back in the day. And so um, we don't want anybody to stumble easily in trapping, right, at the, at the Lord's table. And so, so Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians, he says, because of this sin, some of you are facing trials. Some of you are suffering. Some of you are getting sick, and some have even died because of this sin. You see, sometimes the, the correction that happens in our life is because we have sinned, and we need to experience the consequences of those sins. So God's going to bring that into our life for our good. Secondly, to protect us from future sin. Now, sometimes God's going to discipline us in order to prevent us from, from further pain in our future. So we all give our children rules and boundaries and limitations so that they're going to be protected from harm. You're not going to let your three-year-old daughter run out into Lamar Alexander Highway and play. Like, you can't just go out there and do the hula hoop while cars are whizzing by. That's not a safe place for you to play. But at the time, she's going to cry, and she might even say that you're no fun. You're not a good dad. But you're going to prevent future damage by causing her some unhappiness today. Does that make sense? Thirdly, well, actually, 2 Corinthians 12 is an example of this. Um, Paul talks about a thorn that is in his flesh, and we don't know exactly what that thorn in his flesh was. Some theologians think that he had some kind of eye disease, and, and uh, he had prayed several times that God would heal him, and God said no. I'm not going to heal you. And God assured him that his grace was sufficient for him. He says, for power is perfected in weakness. So God wanted Paul to have that weakness. He wanted Paul to have that affliction to prevent him from future sin, perhaps pride, perhaps, you know, for whatever reasons. But Paul had to accept that, had to accept that in that weakness, God was making him strong. Thirdly, to train us. And so sometimes God's discipline is there to train us to better serve him and to live a better life. So he wants us to know him in a deeper way. He wants us to uh, experience him in a powerful, real, intimate way. He wants our worship to grow in that area. And oftentimes, the pathway to deeper worship is suffering. Job was a righteous man. And he had a great family, he had wealth, he had, he had it all. And God allowed him to be sifted by Satan, and he lost his family, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, and he spends 35, 6 some odd chapters in the book of Job complaining about it and just asking questions about it. God, why? Why are you doing this? He's got bad advice from his friends, bad advice from his wife, and he's just in this turmoil, and he is suffering tremendously. And I read that story, and I'm like, man, he experienced so much trouble and so much pain. And the reality is, as he was asking the why question, what he realized is that he had to trust God, even though he was never going to have the why questions answered. Why are you doing this, God? Oh, it's not up to me. Oh, I'm never going to know. Oh. I've got to trust you. Oh, I've got to have faith that what you're doing and what I'm experiencing is for my good. Job chapter 42, Job finally says, after going through this terrible experience, he says, I had heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes have seen you. 
You see, that's the difference. That's what suffering will do if you allow it in your life. You'll go from knowing a lot about God, hearing about God, to now all of a sudden I have seen God. And so my worship is deeper and richer and fuller and my faith has grown in ways that I never would have experienced otherwise. In verses 11 through 12, he talks about how this, word, this, this discipline, this suffering can grow us deeper and we can be encouraged by it. Look at verse 8. He essentially says God's children are going to be disciplined. So God's discipline is for his children. That brings us comfort. If you're experiencing God's discipline today, that means that, that you are a son, you are a daughter of God. I'm not going to discipline your kids as much as I would like to when I'm at Target or Walmart and I see people and their kids acting crazy, you know, and I just want to go over there. Give me one week with that kid and I promise you he will stop. Like, we've all had that thought. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. You think it too, right? And so we, we, we don't do that though. I, I don't love your kids like you love them. God's going to discipline his children. And so that brings us comfort that, that, okay, just as a loving father would discipline us to prevent us from harm and to protect us and because he cares about us, our heavenly father will in fact bring trials in our life so that we can learn and grow and be closer to him. And so that encourages us. Secondly, in verses 10 and 11, God's discipline is for our good. Now, in the midst of suffering and pain, when you're stressed out, when there's anxiety, when there's divorce, when there's death, when there's brokenness, when there's heartbreak, I mean, you're not, you, you, I'm, I'm just being honest, I don't see the good very clearly. It's very difficult. That's why I've got to be in Scripture. That's why I've got to read this, and, and I've, got to, I've got to pray through it, and I've got to read it several times so that God can speak to my heart. So that I can understand, okay, this is for my good. This is for my good. And, 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 and so I'm going to be questioned, uh, I'm, I'm going to be tempted to question God. And how can I, in this moment of suffering, how, how could this be for my benefit? And so here, here's a statement that, that is helping me, that, that God is more concerned about my good than I am. And God is more concerned about your good than you are. And that's hard to believe, isn't it? Because I mean, we're, we're pretty selfish. I mean, I'm a pretty selfish guy. I, I know what is good for me, and I, I'm pretty good at, you know, picking out what I want, when I want it, and I know what feels good to me, and I know all these things that I think are good for me. But when I turn to Scripture, it, it says God is more concerned about my good than even I am. I wrestle, I mean, when I wrestle with that, and when I, I try to wrap my mind around that, I, um, I, I begin to... I begin to draw a little bit closer to him. God is more concerned about your good than you are. I, I remember when my son was three years old and he had, we, we were kind of struggling because we had found that he had had an allergy to a peanut. And so we were, we were freaking out as, you know, parents, we were still young and we had to take him to the allergist to get an allergy test. And if you've ever done that, you know what a miserable experience that is. And, and here uh, we are as mom and dad and, and uh, our, our three-year-old, essentially they take a little, little sharp needle and then they take all of these, you know, um, various things that you might be allergic to and they prick your back. And then they, they ride on your back and they circle, okay, this is grass, okay, this is dairy, milk, this is, you know, peanuts, this is this kind of nut, this kind of tree. And so you've got like 30, 40 like different 
pricks on, on your back, and then if you're allergic to it, it gets red, and it, it, it whelps up, it itches, and it's painful, <laughs> right? And so you can imagine, if you've been in my shoes and you've been there, you can imagine the, the pain of seeing your, 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 your little three-year-old boy who, who is going through this test, and he's looking up at mom and dad, and he's thinking, why are you letting her do this to me? Why aren't you stepping in? The first one was bad enough. 25 and 27 and now 30-something plus. It hurts. And I'll never forget, he looked up to me and he said, Daddy, it hurts. Can you make a stop? And I just remember my heart breaking in that moment. Because in that moment, he doesn't understand He doesn't understand that this test is necessary to prevent him from future harm. And it's hard for me as a parent to watch him go through it. And I just know that as we go through whatever trial we go through in this life, even our own Heavenly Father's heart breaks for us as He cares and loves and wants our good more than even we want our own good. And, and so he'll allow that test to take place. He'll allow that suffering to come into your life. And it's in that moment where we have to turn off the temptation to blame God and to blame people and to allow bitterness to fill our heart and to just isolate ourselves and run from the church and run from God and get mad at people and, and run to alcohol and run to relationships and run to all these stupid sins that hinder us and get to a place in our life when we can be sure that God's discipline is purposeful and loving and it's given to us to correct us and to protect us and to train us. And we can get to this place where we are sure of this because we can trust our Father. Verse 11 says, no, it's not going to be enjoyable. It's not going to be enjoyable. But it's going to be rather unpleasant. (laughs) But he says, look at it. He says, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, in my experience, there has not been any joy. And people say some really stupid things to you when you go through death. You can be happy that she's in heaven. I cannot. There is no joy in that moment. One lady said, you wouldn't bring her back, even if you could. And I said, oh no, I would bring her back. I would bring her back still. There is no joy. There is hope. And what I've learned 
And what I'm trying to learn is that when there is no joy, God will bring you peace. And so when I read this passage, and I see that, oh, oh, it yields peaceful fruit. Okay. See, I was looking for happiness. Listen, I've done a funeral for a stillborn baby. There is no joy in that. There is no happiness that, oh, he's in heaven. Not in that moment. Maybe years later, not in that moment. But when I read that, oh, it it, it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness, that's the point. Because I feel like my happiness is the point. I feel like my, my joy was the point of this, God, and it's not really fun anymore. And he says, that's not the point, Trent. The point is that when you cannot find joy, he will give you peace. And the peace and the fruit of righteousness doesn't just come to anyone who suffers, to anyone that has problems and pain in your life. The promise and the peace comes to those circle it, who have been trained by it, who have been trained by it. So the question I leave you with today is, will you allow your suffering to train you? Will you allow God in the midst of this chaos, in this storm in your life, will you allow him to train you? Because that's the question. What would it look like if you got your focus off of yourself? If you, got, if, if, if you got your attention off of the bitterness and the anger that is in your life because of what your parents did or your ex-husband did or the person at work is doing to you, and you got your focus off of them, and you began to look to Jesus And he began to walk with him through this season, asking him not the question of why, God, but instead asking him the question, what, God, what do I need to learn? I want to get to the point of being able to yield a peaceful fruit of righteousness in my life that brings me to a closer walk with him. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before you. You don't get to choose that race. He sets it before us, but in purpose and in love and in training because he cares for us, because he is a loving father, he will allow that season to come into your life, but, but it will only be for a season. One day I hope to stand up without tears and without struggle and to share with you every way that God has healed my heart through my situation. And I pray one day you'll be able to do the same thing. Let's bow your heads, please. Even in your loneliness, even in your heartbreak, even in death, God will use that situation to train your broken heart. And you've got to have faith and trust in his plan. Will you look to Jesus today? Will you look to him? How many of you would say, Trent, I am in a season of pain today, 
And I would love for you to just pray over me. Anybody just want to lift up your hands and say, I am in a season all over. I am in a season, man. Lord Jesus, you see these hands, you know these hearts. And Lord, it is hard for us. We're so easily entangled in sin. We're so easily tripped up by, by petty sin and things that continue, continue to drown us. And so God, as we face this afternoon, as we wake up and face tomorrow, may you give us a hope and a peace, a peace of, uh, that leads to fruit and righteousness that we would endure, not sitting down and feeling sorry for ourselves, but standing up and fighting and living and focusing our heart upon you. God, we need you. We need you to break in and give us faith. We need you to break through, God, and heal our hearts. You're our only hope, God. And we want our worship to pour out to you. May this season purify those who lifted their hands. May it purify their worship and grow their worship and deepen their worship and deepen their understanding of you. May their faith deepen. Lord, may your righteousness and your plan be our focus. And we do know, God, that joy does come in the morning. It may not be here today, but we do know that your mercies are new every single day. And so our hope is that we may never be the same. In fact, we know we won't. But we know that with you, you're going to allow this to yield righteousness and fruit that will bless other people. Draw us into your presence. So help us to receive that today and grow from it today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.